Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. After the Apocalypse, a pandemic survival story. Season 2, episode 19. Tudorberg. dry wind swept dust and bits of trash from the parking lot. It danced in the distribution center entrance like a tiny tornado. Bert checked over his M4 and decided he should probably clean it at some point, as near as he could figure. It had been a week since he had done so. He was leaning against a squat cement pillar that he supposed was meant to keep vehicles from crashing into the building. There was a line of them planted in front of the glass doors. These barriers were a legacy of the terrorist scares of the early 2000s. It was odd to think about that now. Everyone had been so scared at the time. He smiled at the thought. Another world problem solved by the apocalypse. There certainly weren't enough warm bodies left to make suicide bombers a useful strategy anymore. He raised the rifle to his shoulder and looked down the barrel. He squeezed off a quick burst. The windshield of a parked car on the other side of the lot whitened in a web of thin white cracks and holes as the safety glass reacted. Jesus! Al jolted upright from his toes. What the hell are you doing? Al was seated on the ground with his back against the next pillar. Technically, they weren't supposed to be sleeping on duty, but Al had had a rough night. Bert was not contrite. He shrugged, making sure the gun still works. Why do you care anyhow? Al shot him a cross look from his bloodshot eyes. He was nursing a bit of a hangover and didn't need this idiot making noise. Keep it down. My head's killing me. Nobody forced you to drink that southern comfort, Bert said dismissively, firing off another burst that erased the windshield entirely. Al considered this. Never had it before. Packs a pretty good punch. Jerry wandered over to join the conversation. There were four of them on loose guard duty at the entrance. What you shooting at? He asked Bert and Al collectively. Nothing. Just killing time. Bert replied. You better be careful. Don't piss off Harlan, Jerry warned. You'll get extra duty, he leered. Won't be able to spend time with your new girlfriends. Bert smiled back. I know, right? He rubbed a red scratch on the side of his face. Things get a little rough last night, Jerry asked conversationally. I like it rough. Bert smiled, and in the time-honored tradition of complaining about work, continued. What are we doing out here, anyhow? I got better things to do. Harlan wants to make sure there are no surprises, Jerry shrugged. He's the boss, Bert said with an edge that hit a small vein of contempt. 
The sound of an approaching vehicle interrupted the conversation. The men turned to look down the road. Al stood up and checked the safety on his gun. What's this? We expecting someone? Not that I know of, Bert replied. Spread out and get some cover, Al said and stepped forward. He rested his rifle on the hood of the nearest Humvee that was parked parallel to the doors. A truck lumbered down the roads toward the D.C. and slowed to turn into the entrance. It looked like a landscaper's truck. The high metal sides on the bed were painted black. They were covered with dents and scratches and rust patches. The truck had been well used back when a trimmed lawn and thick mulch was a primary worry of middle-class suburbanites. Gray diesel exhausts expanded out of a tailpipe between the double-axle wheels on the back. Al thought it looked like the kind of truck he would have hauled a load of gravel in before the apocalypse. Maybe to backfill a retaining wall for some rich prick. Did someone call a landscaper? Al asked half-jokingly. The truck slowed as it navigated the speed bump, and whoever was driving ground the gears a bit on the downshift. It took a wide-angle turn around the parking lot. Al gave the hand signal to hold fire. The truck seemed more curious than threatening. He could see a single driver that looked like a woman as the truck continued its circuit of the lot. It drove past and stopped with its nose pointed out away from them. The reverse lights came on, and it moved backwards towards the men very slowly. An annoying beeping noise that made Al's head hurt started. It was like an ice pick to his temple. He stood up from his lean on the Humvee hood and held a hand up in the universal stop signal. He could see the woman's face in the big side mirrors, and she could see him. Al yelled, Hold it! The brake lights came on, and the reverse light shut off as the woman stopped and shifted. What the hell is this all about? Al muttered and then shouted an instruction. Jerry, go get Harlan. As he was saying this, a flaming streak launched out of the bed of the truck over the gate in a high arc. A bottle of gas smashed against the side of the Humvee, and a fireball blossomed, knocking Al onto his back. The men began shooting at the truck. Bullets glanced off the dented metal of the gate. The truck lurched forward, and another flaming bottle arced over the back gate towards the men. They dove for cover, but this bottle fell short and only added to the flame and smoke around the first Humvee. Al got up and shouted angrily to the men, Come on! Let's get these bastards! He shouldered his rifle and squeezed off a few bursts at the truck as it accelerated forward and out of the exit the way it had come. Come on! Al waved as he ran to the second Humvee. Let's go! He was mad. The day hadn't started shitty, and now it was getting shittier. He wasn't going to let these local yokels, whoever they were, mess with him. You asshole screwed with the wrong people! He yelled through gritted teeth. All four of the men on guard duty hurried to jump in. It took less than a minute to load into the Humvee. They were barely closing the doors when Al tromped on the gas and accelerated towards the gate in pursuit. They didn't see Harlan emerge from the door behind them. They didn't hear him shout at them to stop. KJ stole a quick peek over the edge of the truck. She banged on the truck cab roof. Punch it! They're following us! The old man and Mags had done the math. Now they were going to see if their calculation was correct. Becca gave the truck as much gas as it would take as they pushed down the highway ahead of the pursuing Humvee. The old truck wouldn't be able to outrun the Humvee, but 
They didn't need to. They just needed to stay ahead of it. They had about a 90-second head start that, theoretically, should give them a buffer. If she could keep the truck floored, they should make it. They had done the math. So much for all those people who said algebra was useless knowledge in the real world, Janet thought grimly. It didn't get any realer than this. Al pounded his clenched fist on the Humvee steering wheel as the landscape blurred by. The other men held on as best they could. We're gaining on them. Won't be long now, he said. Bert in the passenger seat cautioned. Easy, Al. Doesn't do us any good if you kill us in a crash. Al ignored the comment. He focused on the road and gripped the wheel hard, white knuckles bulging through the dirty skin on his hands like stones in a polluted stream. Shut up! Just be ready to shoot when I catch him! Bert checked his M4 and started to lower the Humvee window. KJ took another peek. They were getting too close. That guy was driving like a maniac. The Humvee was coming up too fast. She'd have to slow them down. It was hard to light the fuse as the truck bounced down the highway. She had to spread her knees and brace herself against the side. This will give them something to think about. She thought and took another look. They were close now and closing fast, too close. She heard the bullets denting the tailgate metal and saw the muzzle flash from the rifle of the man leaning out the window. Jesus, it's about to get hot. She peeked again and did some quick math of her own before lobbing a bottle so it would burst in front of the speeding Humvee. She just needed to slow them down. The bottle smashed in the road. A blossom of orange flame rose. The humbee swerved and braked hard, leaning precariously to one side as a driver fought the skid. For a moment, it seemed like the speeding vehicle might roll, but the driver fought the humbee back onto the road in an acrid blue cloud of tire smoke and began accelerating again. She had bought them a few extra seconds. It might be enough. She felt the truck beneath her decelerate and turn. They were almost there. She could feel it. An odd thought came into her mind. She remembered a similar feeling of deceleration coming into LaGuardia from so many business trips. She would feel the pilot cut the thrust and she would hear the tone of the jet engines change. It was at this point that she had known she was close to home. Almost home. Al pushed that big Humvee down the road after the speeding truck. Who do these people think they are? Do they seriously think a couple of homemade gas bombs are going to keep me from catching and kill them? He saw the truck brake lights flash as he turned off the highway into the parking lot. We got them now, he cheered. Get ready to light them up. The truck ahead slowed and turned between two rows of parked yellow school buses. The buses were parked nose to tail in two parallel lines, as if waiting to pick children up and carry them away to their families. You can run, but you can't hide, Al said gleefully. Don't get too close, Bert cautioned. They might have more of those bombs. Yeah, yeah, Al replied. Just be ready to take them out. The truck ahead slowed even more and jerked sideways, crashing to a halt, wedged between the two lead buses, blocking the Humvee behind them. The driver's door swung open and the driver fled around the front of the buses out of sight, 
There was a flash of black ponytail as a woman scrambled out of the bed of the truck and vaulted over the cab following the driver. So that's how it's going to be, Al grumbled and slammed the Humvee into reverse. As he looked over his shoulder, another school bus pulled across the opening they had entered through. That's when they noticed the stacked tires and the smell of gas. Damn it, Al! Bert screamed. Everybody out! Should we go get them? Carl asked. They may need our help. No, Harlan said, his voice steely with anger and frustration. They're idiots. He looked around, assessing the area. Get Tony and Roger up on the roof. Put someone on the back door. Okay, Carl replied. The only one left we can trust is Jed. I'll wake him up. Good, Harlan said, mulling over the situation. I suspect we're going to have company. Carl trotted off. Harlan checked his gun and squinted at the sun. Amateurs, he muttered. It was times like this that he almost wished he was back working on his father-in-law's pig farm. KJ grabbed a bottle and began to light the fuse. These were bigger than the pint bottles she had used in the truck. But KJ was strong. More than that, she was righteous. And the intensity of that righteousness burned in her now as she worked. Mags looked at her with concern and said, They're trapped. Maybe we should ask them if they want to surrender. The time for surrender has passed, KJ said flatly. They made their choice. KJ stood up and lobbed the first bottle up and over the bus to where she could hear the men shouting. There was a whoosh followed by screaming and gunfire. Mag ducked instinctively, even though she knew they had blocked off all the openings and crawl spaces and the men and their bullets could not get through. Janet heaved another bottle. Screams of anger became screams of agony. And then cries for mercy. Then strangled cries and choking. And then there were no more screams. Only the smell of smoke and the heat of the fires, the bus tires caught. The only sound was a strangely industrial sound of fire incinerating the buses. Tires and plastic seats joined in the noxious blaze. Mags and KJ had to step back from the radiating heat. The metal of the buses popped as it expanded. Paint darkened and curled. Ammunition exploded in random staccato bursts, and the killing box became a concentrated hell. Harlan was leaning on one of the cement pillars, smoking a cigarette, when Carl came shuffling back. What's the plan? Carl asked. Harlan turned to look at him and cocked his jaw to blow a smoke ring. The plan? He paused. We wait. They'll come to us. There was an oily smell of smoke on the breeze, a cocktail of burning plastic and chemicals that was not uncommon in the apocalypse, but made Harlan think. He had smelled so much smoke in the last few months, so much of the old world was consumed in fire, like a great funeral pyre on which civilization burned, one toxic fire at a time. Harlan pulled a long drag on his butt. Carl shifted nervously. They settled into wait. Harlan heard the approaching vehicles first. He nodded to Carl, who signaled to the men on the roof, and shifted his gun. This is it, then, Harlan thought. Another appointment with death. Since he'd found the king, 
It had been a weekly occurrence. Every few days he'd be in some situation where someone would try to kill him. It didn't matter. He wasn't afraid. They'd all been living on borrowed time. He had an advantage in this new world. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid of death or anything else. Living at the edge of death quite thrilled him, in fact. He had always suspected that he had been born for something better. Now, in this world, he had found it. It would be too big a statement to say he had found his purpose, but he had found something he was good at. He finally felt like he was useful, that he was enough, that somehow, strangely, that he was okay, and now he would be put to the test again. Two cars pulled slowly through the gate into the parking lot and stopped behind the burnt-out Humvee. Carl gripped his rifle and glanced at Harlan. Harlan took one last drag on the cigarette, tossed it to the ground, and smashed it with the toe of his pointed boot. Then he stepped forward, smiling. K.J. emerged from the first car, carrying an over-under double-barreled 12-gauge. Becca got out of the second car, awkwardly cradling a long gun. The men on the roof pointed rifles over the sandbag parapets at the newcomers. Harlan's smile was bright and shiny. His blue eyes crinkled around the edges. He took a step forward and cleared his throat. He addressed K.J. Looks like you're going duck hunting. And then he winked at her for good measure. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, my survivor friends. How are you doing? Ollie the Collie and I are doing well. Summer has arrived up here in New England with its long days and warm weather. And finally, I feel like I'm emerging from a hole, like a groundhog. This is episode 19 of the second season. For you chronologically challenged, this episode will drop on May 13th, 2022. A little bit more than two years since the idea occurred to me on a drizzly run down by the banks of the Chattahoochee at the start of a global pandemic that, at the time, seemed like it might actually be the end of the world. But we're still here, aren't we? Why? Because you and I, we're survivors. Yeah. I will attempt to wrap up this season in the next episode, episode 20, but if I have to go into extra innings to support the narrative, I will. 
Don't worry. Creating quality and compelling content. That's what we do. <laughs> uh, so I'll get my ask in early this week before the sound of my voice puts you into a deep but restive coma. What do you think? Should I do a meditation series for you insomniacs? Breathe deep together in gloom. Watch lights fade from every room. Bedsitter people look back and lament. Another day's useless energy is spent. Ten apocalypse points to the first person to name that tune. Anyhow, here's my ask. I'm looking to increase the visibility to the show now that we have a couple of good seasons under our belt. Increase the eyeballs, as they say, in the biz. To do this, I'm looking for exposure. So if you know other podcasts or shows or groups where I could be interviewed or post content or interact, that's my ask. The ask is to share with me any other podcast shows, groups, venues that I can engage with to find more fans. I mean, I could get interviewed on these shows or share content or even give a speech. I'm actually fairly versatile. And also, any conventions or other secret societies that you think might be a good place for me to look for fans or even speak at, send them in my direction. Need your help. We're going to crowdsource this. And having just checked my resume again, it turns out, in addition to being a certified scuba diver, I'm also a certified public speaker. So there you go. Send your suggestions to the Facebook group. Just search for After the Apocalypse on Facebook and you'll see our old man logo or on Twitter or on other social sites. I'm C-Y-K-T Russell and you can always shoot me an email at C-Y-K-T Russell at gmail.com. If you're a social media maven like our friend Cinnamon, you can write a review on Spotify or Audible or wherever and then just post that link of that review to your social feed and that does wonders that's really powerful so let's throw some kerosene on that fire you know like those youtube videos where some idiot splashes gas onto a pile of burning trash and blows themselves up that's it right there i'm committed to be that idiot by the way all these shows are published on youtube as well and if you want to contact me through youtube i'm out there too if it's more convenient cykt russell And after the season ends, this season, I'm going to take a break from episodes in the narrative, but I'm going to create some filler content between seasons for you. I'll get some interviews going and we'll get the guest stories going. Uh, Let me know if you have any ideas or something you want to talk about. Don't be shy. We're all in this together and the rising tide floats all boats. So let's talk about one of your favorite franchises. The Living Dead. Yeah, Night of the Living Dead was created by George A. Romero in 1968. Black and white film. And they used friends and family and local amateur actors to fill all the roles. And this game-changing zombie movie was filmed in the little town of of Evans City, Pennsylvania on a budget of $100,000 and it was released in Pittsburgh that year. The film eventually grossed $12 million in the U.S., $18 million internationally, for a staggering 250 times its return on the budget. So this was the film that birthed the modern apocalypse genre. 
and ironically enough, the movie never uses the word zombie. They refer to the the dead people as flesh-eating ghouls. And guess what book the original script was based on? Yep, the 1954 novel, I Am Legend, by Richard Matheson. So add that to your party list with Vincent Price's Last Man on Earth, Charlton Heston's Omega Man, and Will Smith's I Am Legend. And you can spend all night watching zombie movies. This franchise eventually had six films, directed by Mr. Romero himself. First was Night of the Living Dead, then Dawn of the Dead, which was my entry point into the franchise. Then there was Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead, Diary of the Dead, and Survival of the Dead. And you know what? I have not watched all of these, but they form a continuous narrative of the evolving Living Dead universe if you watch them all end to end. But when I first saw Dawn of the Dead, I fell in love with this genre. It was a smart film. It was a sci-fi film. It was a horror film. And it was funny. It was funny as hell. It was filled with social commentary and winks to a smart audience that really paid off. And I like that. And I'll have to rewatch it to see how it ages. But at the time, it was in my top three favorite films. Of course, it's Hollywood, so with the success of Night of the Living Dead, there were tons of copycats and lawsuits and all that stuff that Hollywood does. Uh, the first up is an entry by John Russo, who co-wrote the original screenplay with Ramiro. He created an alternative second movie called Return of the Living Dead. And then there was that remake in 1990 that you may have seen. And there were two 3D films made in the 2000s, one a remake and the other a prequel. The original black and white film, Night of the Living Dead, was colorized and also converted into a 3D format. So you can find that out there. But I'm holding out for the 4D or the 5D or the return of Smell-O-Vision because that's what a zombie movie really needs. And there are a host of other remakes and copycats that have been done, but I'm going to stop here because it's starting to feel like I'm reading the phone book to you. So to summarize, who knows if the zombie apocalypse genre would exist at all, or in its current robust form, if it had not been for the seminal emergence of George A. Romero's Night of the Living Dead. It changed the game. It is the grandpappy of every zombie jump scare we have enjoyed for the last 50 years. There's just something about that mindless, single-purposed, flesh-eating ghoul that triggers something very dark and animal in our brains. It affects us at the amygdala level with the inevitable certainty of death. And that's what I think it is. It lets us experience the physical manifestation of our fear of death in the form of the zombie. Anyhow, folks, that's it for me. Hope you have a great weekend. Help us get those eyeballs on the show. And, oh, by the way, people have been buying T-shirts on our TeePublic uh, site. So go there. Link's in the show notes. And keep surviving. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 